Let's turn now to Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow, and I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. I want to give special attention uh, this evening to verse 7. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, these words, return to your rest, O my soul. Uh, Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, said of these words, I know of no more proper word to end the day. Suggest also thoughts that seem appropriate for the end of another year. Uh, another year that uh, has swiftly passed. I know that's a cliché. Uh, but we all use it, and I think uh, we don't use it in an empty way because we feel that. We experience how quickly uh, time passes. And uh, the passing of time and uh, the, the swiftness with which uh, the years follow one upon the other, well, those are things that may affect people in different ways. Uh, the passing of a, of a year, the beginning of an, of another year might, uh, make some people feel some anxiety or, or perhaps, uh, regret looking back upon the year past. For some, the, the swiftness of their lives may, uh, cause them to be a little bit afraid of the end of their lives. Some people might feel weary of their lives because of, uh, of pain and trouble that, that they are experiencing. And on the other hand, there are those who might, uh, see the passing of a year and the beginning of another year with, uh, some excitement and some expectation. Uh, but certainly all are, are faced with the, the shortness of their lives, whether they realize it or not, whether they experience it that way or not. And, uh, yes. 
often ask myself in this time of year, what uh, do people find uh, worth celebrating when it comes to the beginning of a new year? It's one of the biggest celebrations of the year. And uh, if you were to ask people that gather in great crowds and uh, city centers and uh, with a lot of music and a lot of lights and noise and uh, excitement and apparent joy, what is there to celebrate about the passing of another year and the beginning of another? I wonder if them, how many of them could, could give a, a good answer to that question. Uh, one that really makes a lot of sense. What's so great about the beginning of a new year? And, uh, for some, they might be honest and say, well, it's just an opportunity to, to celebrate and have a good time. That may be a, an honest answer for many people. Some people might speak of, of, of hope for the future. The beginning of a new year seems to be like, uh, another chance to start over. An opportunity to pursue your dreams, uh, make a fresh start. And I'm not, I'm not, critical of that as such. I think, I think that kind of hopefulness is, uh, that, that reflects the glimmerings of the image of God. God has put eternity in our hearts. And, uh, I think that, that optimism is a reflection of the fact that, that we have been made for a purpose. And I think people instinct, instinctively feel that there ought to be some purpose to their lives. There ought to be, there ought to be hope and optimism, uh, to life. But sadly, so many people can't really give an account of any good reason for such hopefulness or, or optimism, except in perhaps very shallow ways. Some people might celebrate the new year in a way that simply is, uh, involves a kind of escapism. Uh, they are honest about the fact that they're discouraged and depressed and they don't have much hope. And uh, they may try to escape in uh, partying or whatever. But for a Christian, certainly, the passing of time is no time for fear. Uh, nor is it for a time for a kind of undefined worldly excitement. But is it, it is a time to reflect on God's faithfulness and, uh, uh along with other kinds of, um, get-togethers and celebrations and enjoyment of social occasions. It's a time to reflect upon the true security that we have as God's people and the, the reason for a real kind of stability that we have in him. And so we might say that it is time to consider the true rest of our souls that our text speaks of, which is our rest in God. Return to your rest, O my soul. Now, rest, the very word is kind of a sweet and comfortable word. It's always an appealing thought to rest, to rest after a hard day's work, to rest after a busy season and a time of relaxation or vacation, to rest just uh, for a little while, perhaps. It's a very positive-sounding word that uh, resonates with us. And uh, yes, even in our common usage it is, but the, the common associations with the word rest uh, really don't compare with the rich associations that God's children ought to have uh, with this word. Uh, because we have uh, reasons for rest, and we have the experience of rest that is truly rich in meaning 
And that's what we're going to look at to, to begin with, the, the meaning of that rest um, spoken of here in our text. And uh, we must say that it's not to be uh, thought of simply as a rest of inactivity. In verse 9, the psalmist speaks of, of uh, activity. I will walk in the land of the living. I will walk before the Lord. In fact, that's a very, very uh, common and, and prominent way of describing uh, life, describing life with God as a walk, as a as a sojourn. Um, some some passages that use such language are uh, Jeremiah chapter six, verse sixteen. It says, ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There is rest for our souls in walking that is living in that good path. A very familiar uh, passage that uses similar language is Isaiah uh, chapter 40 where it says that uh, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So there's a kind of rest in God that is altogether compatible with a life of activity and movement and, and progression. So we're referring here to a spiritual rest in our relationship to God. And we want to describe that negatively, first of all, in terms of what it is a rest from. And uh, we can note that it is a rest from the kind of inner turmoil that otherwise would would uh, would plague us, would trouble us. And there are a lot of reasons for inner turmoil that people suffer. Uh, could be the the turmoil of of uh, of facing uh, serious threats to their life and well being. You know, the psalmist in this psalm speaks of the pains of death, the pangs of, of Sheol, the grave, laid hold of me. Was that in the face of the, the fear of death? Sometimes inner turmoil and distress is the result of the feelings of, of guilt and uh, related fear, or a kind of darkness in the soul, a kind of hopelessness that uh, people might fear that gives them no peace. And sometimes... Uh, People, including Christians, can experience a kind of darkness without being able to really give an account for it, without being able to really explain why they feel the way they do or why they're suffering the way they are. Think of the book of Job. He could not account for that uh, pain that he experienced physically and the, the pain of loss and uh, spiritual confusion and uh, unrest. Jesus experienced anguish and suffering in his life. Uh, but he also knew the, the reason for it. He knew the cause of that suffering and that he came into the world to suffer. He came into this world to, uh, to endure the, the wrath of God against sin. And all the experience of sufferings that he faced were interpreted in that light of his voluntary assumption of our nature and to face the sufferings of this life so that he would be our Savior. For unbelievers, 
uh, sin and guilt are the underlying reasons for their restlessness. Isaiah chapter 57 says that the the wicked are like the troubled sea, which uh, cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And that's in contrast to the previous verse, 16, that says, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. That's language that we find in the New Testament where it speaks of Christ as our peace, who proclaims peace to those who are far off, the Gentile nations, and to those who are near. And that peace is uh, peace with God. And it's peace through his blood, whereby he made atonement to remove our guilt and our, our fear of judgment and of death. And so we rest from the inner turmoil of, of guilt and hopelessness, and uh, we rest in God. But we can also speak of resting from uh, futility, resting from fruitless labor. The book of Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about that, about the dissatisfaction and the weariness and the, the restlessness of life under the sun. And uh, we might also say that that, that restlessness of uh, fruitless labor applies to uh, works of righteousness whereby people would try to uh, find peace with God by their own activities apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this world of, of labor and activity and work falls under that repeated verdict of Ecclesiastes where it says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, or emptiness, emptiness, futility, meaninglessness, and uh, rest in God involves rest, not from activity, but rest from futile, fruitless activity that has no no purpose. We otherwise just spin our wheels, so to speak. But rest in God gives strength that can make uh, burdens light and that can make our sleep uh, sweet. Uh, Psalm 127 also speaks of a contrast uh, where it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. In contrast to this restlessness, God gives sleep and calm to his people. Uh, we could speak of a rest from a kind of aimless wandering. I, I alluded to the the optimism and uh, the energy that so many people have without Christ, a kind of hopefulness that they often display. And, uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, you, you have, you may have said, I've heard people say in times of suffering and sickness and hospitalization, they say things like, I don't know how people can handle it without the Lord. I don't know how they can cope with this suffering without God because they are brought to realize that without God, uh, they have no comfort. But the same could be said of people in the midst of their activity, in the midst of their, uh, their rich and full life in terms of material enjoyments, in the midst of their friendships. How do they handle that? 
How do they find real happiness in all these things? These things don't satisfy the soul. They leave people empty. How do they cope? Well, we know that many of them cannot cope. And that's why so many of the rich and famous who have achieved what others envy in terms of of uh, popularity, perhaps beauty and money, how many of them uh, turn to substances in order to find some happiness, some some peace in their lives? The, the world doesn't doesn't have uh, any kind of rest from the aimlessness of a life without God. And again, this is a testimony to the fact that God has made man in his own image. And it's impossible that those who are made for God should find rest apart from God. There's a famous uh, statement of St. Augustine. It's on the first page of his uh, confessions. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Believers have come home, and without that homecoming, without coming to God and finding rest in him, They have no rest for their souls. And if that describes you tonight, even on this last day of the year, face your misery. Face that that fact that you have no real rest for your soul until you turn to God. And whatever drive you might have, whatever optimism you might have, it's really quite unfounded. It's It's not based in reality. Think of the wonderful uh, gospel call of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew uh, 11, verse 28, where he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know it's a very stark contrast and perhaps a, a bit of an unsettling contrast to this picture of rest in Christ, this lurid depiction of restlessness that we're given in the book of Revelation in chapter 14, but I'll read it anyway. In verse 11 of this chapter says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Oh, the mark of the beast. And so many think, oh, yeah, that mark of the beast. I'm never going to take the mark of the beast. And all the while they're following after the values and the pleasures and the priorities of this world. And they don't realize that they're carrying the mark of the beast. So long as they're living for this present evil age. And it's a terrible outcome that results. That's described in this passage in terms of eternal restlessness. Our rest is in God, and we need to return to that rest. That's uh, the language of, of this psalm. The psalmist uh, admonishes himself. He says, return to your rest, O my soul. This is a good kind of self-talk. We, we all engage in self-talk of one kind or another, and, and so much of that self-talk is, is harmful. We rehearse to ourselves our grievances. We, we speak uh, in our own minds about our worries and about our troubles, and we repeat them over and over again, if not with words in our thoughts. And uh, how often do we need to just get a grip on ourselves, so to speak, and say, return to your rest, O my soul. It's as if that's what the psalmist does here. 
Believers have rest in God, and it is their rest. It belongs to them properly because they have God as their God. But they need to return. We need to return. We need to return again and again and again. In a way, just as the life of the Christian is a life of repentance, so it is a life of returning to God, because repentance is basically turning, isn't it? It's turning from sin. It's turning from ourselves. And it's turning to God. And so our lives must be marked by returning to God. And actually, that's that's quite comforting to, to, to see things in that light, because it's realistic to our own experience, because we so quickly turn aside to various uh, forms of unrest. I've mentioned some of them before. The unrest that is a result of a kind of anxiety and fear that can plague us. Anxiety and fear about our health, about our financial situation. Anxiety that simply may involve a, a vague sense of, of dread about the future. Worry about our children. And as we find ourselves falling prey to these kinds of anxieties and fears, we have to engage in this kind of holy self-talk that says, Return to your rest, O my soul. In Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verse 15, we read, Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. This is a gracious appeal uh, to sinners who are far from God. And it's a call to repentance in their case. And we, we hear that from the answer that's given in the next verse. But you said, no, for we will flee on horses. In other words, they're not going to trust in God. They're not going to rest in him. They're going to rest in their own means of safety and security. Now, this involves a, a call to repentance. And sometimes that's the case with us, isn't it? Because sometimes unrest in our own lives can be from sin in our lives. And it's inevitable that we experience uneasiness if we are giving in to ungodly habits and practices. A troubled conscience cannot rest before God. It cannot rest in God. And we can't expect peace. Also in our hearts, if our relationships with others is characterized by unrest if our thoughts about others, if our feelings towards others, if our words about them or words to them are marked by bitterness or by resentment or envy or jealousy, well, these things disturb our rest. They are, they are troublesome guests within our hearts. And uh, we cannot rest so long as they're allowed to live there. And we need to, we need to kick them out, so to speak, and say to ourselves, return to your rest, O oh my soul. It's also possible to grow weary in well-doing. That's uh, from an exhortation in the book of Galatians where we're admonished. Don't grow weary in well-doing. But that will happen if we separate a religious duty, uh, from our relationship to Christ. If we fall into a works righteousness mentality, if we forget about the Lord while we are serving the Lord, even in doing good things, remember the words of our Savior, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And that's also true when it comes to uh, good works, when it comes to serving the Lord actively. If we, if we do that apart from a deliberate uh, endeavor to live close to the Lord Jesus Christ, those works will burn us out. We'll grow weary in those things. And we need to return to our rest, even constantly in the midst of busyness and activity. The dove that Noah sent from the ark found no rest until it returned to the ark. And here, the ark is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. David himself, he gives, uh, he gives himself a spiritual pep talk, you might say. Uh, he had experienced grace, and now it's time to act like it. And it seems as if he sees that clearly in this verse. And that leads us to consider, thirdly, the reason to return to our rest. God had delivered the psalmist by his saving mercy. God has delivered us by his saving mercy. And this song, uh, this psalm is so well beloved because it is rich with thanksgiving and, and praise and the expressions of love for God because of who he is and what, what he has done. I called upon the name of the Lord. I, O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears and my feet uh, from falling. Like Israel delivered from Egypt, like our deliverance at Calvary and in the empty tomb, this is the ultimate ground of our rest because we have deliverance in Christ. This grace has been applied to you. We can say, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And we must never... Never forget that. Remember that the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, that we might never forget that, that we might constantly be reminded of the ground, the foundation of our rest. It is in him. It's in his death for us. And all his benefits flow to us from this. And it's good to end another year by thinking of reasons for resting in God, those reasons that flow out of his saving grace to us in Jesus Christ. Then our text uh, alludes to uh, such reasons when he says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And it's like that that's a, a confession that invites us to reflect upon how the Lord has dealt bountifully with us. Has the Lord dealt bountifully with you in the past year? What What form did that take? Can you name some reasons from the past year to return to your rest? Has he proven to you perhaps that that uh, fears that you faced at some point in this year proved to be groundless? They didn't materialize? Or if those things that you feared did materialize and you actually faced them, you found that his grace was sufficient. He gave you what you need to face them. Or perhaps you've been brought low and things appear to be hopeless to you, you found yourself in the dark, but circumstances changed. Or perhaps a change in perspective took place in your outlook, and you perhaps are not even able necessarily to identify when and how that 
took place. But you saw things in a different light, in a more, more optimistic, a more, a more hopeful light. Well, that's owing to God's grace, His bountiful care and love. Maybe you experienced a, a kind of spiritual renewal in this past year. Maybe God gave you grace to overcome a, a habit, a sinful be, a kind of behavior that was harming you and dishonoring your Lord. And you gained victory or you've made a progress in your struggle with sin. And here you're to see also God's bountiful care and love for you. Now, we may not be able to point out anything especially remarkable, either of the things that I mentioned or others, but we need only to consider God's tender care and his patience toward us in ordinary things, if we may call them that, in the peace that we enjoy in terms of living in a free land with tremendous privileges of work and travel and worship, the plenty that we experience by way of material gifts, abundance in food and drink, a great abundance when it comes to the means of grace, the opportunity to hear God's word proclaimed week after week, the opportunity to meet for Bible study or perhaps in small groups or for prayer, so many ways in relationship to your church life, so many ways in relationship to your 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 personal life and your family life in which you're able to receive God's gifts of grace and mercy. These are great reasons to rest in God. And we all ought to reflect upon this for ourselves. There's also a point to be made here in closing for for unbelievers whether there are unbelievers among us tonight or simply in our thoughts about unbelievers. We hear this language, return to your rest. And we might ask, well, does that, does that refer to unbelievers? How can they return to God if they never really knew God, if they never really trusted in him before in their lives? Well, this language is still appropriate because it addresses, it addresses people. It addresses our race as those who have turned away and fallen from God in Adam, as those who have run from God, as those who have wandered uh, from their home. No, that doesn't mean that they're aware of it, but conversion is always, is always coming home. And there's, there's something in the experience and the conviction of people that, uh, that shows that. And it's also true, isn't it, that, that those who are far from God, they, they yet experience His bountiful care in many ways. And, uh, the book of Romans addresses that reality in, uh, the second chapter in verse four, where it says, do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The good things that people experience from God's hand, the things that we also experience in common with them in terms of ordinary daily blessings of food and drink and safety and work, and those good things, they are ultimately from the hand of God. And people all, all people are obligated to recognize that. And they're obligated to be moved by that, by these testimonies of God's care that it should lead them to repentance and return then to God. 
Another year has passed. It's uh, likely the, the last year for, uh, for some of us here uh, tonight. Uh, there are usually funerals in this building every year. And uh, over the years, it's quite remarkable that um, though we've had the funerals of infant children, We've had, we've had very few funerals like the one that's being conducted in Grand Prairie of a woman as young as 46. We recently had a funeral of one who was only 10 years older than that. I've never in all my uh, ministry conducted the funeral of a teenager that was killed in a car accident. I think that's quite remarkable. I've had very few funerals of children or young people or even young adults. Or middle-aged people. That's quite, that's quite significant. But that doesn't mean that people of all these different ages are somehow impervious, uh, to the possibility of death. And every year there are those who are taken from us in their old age. There may be some here that fit that description tonight. Yes, it's very possible that this is the last year for some. There's only one safe way. There's only one happy way to end this year. And that's at rest. At rest with God. At rest in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I began by quoting this statement from Matthew Henry that this language, return to your rest, O my soul, is, is suitable words with which to end, uh, the day. We might say, yeah, they're suitable words with which to end a year. We could also say they're suitable words with which to end a life when we enter that long sleep. Uh, before the resurrection of the body, where our bodies will, will rest in the grave until the resurrection morning. Yes, our spirits will be with the Lord, but the, the consummation of God's gracious purpose includes the redemption of our bodies. And, uh, the, the, the saints, they enter a kind of rest, uh, until the resurrection morning. And we might say that this language is even suitable for entering uh, the grave. If we want to die that way, we must know this rest personally while we live. And we need to learn to say, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Amen.